Well, as always, we just want to thank you again for being with us this weekend as we continue in our summer series, The One, One Thing Remains. One Thing Remains. This summer, we're going to be looking at the books of Jonah, the book of Ruth, and then the big three, faith, hope, and love. But the common thread throughout all of it is the one thing, which is the love of God. The thing that never fails or never fades, the Apostle Paul tells us, the greatest of that is is love. And so as we look at these stories from the Bible of Jonah and of Ruth, and as we look at faith, hope, and love, we get to see how the Lord has been faithful to His people today, but also yesterday, and He will be tomorrow. And our hope and our prayer is that as we trace that thread of the one thing, we'll come to realize that in ever-increasing measure each and every day. I think Pastor Alex said it really well last week when he said this, we can rely on the world, but eventually it'll break. However, God's love never fails. No matter how many times we run from it or assume we don't need it, God's love never fails. No matter how many times we run from it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about running from it today because Pastor Alex introduced us to Jonah last week. If you missed Last week, I'd invite you to go online to newlifexn.org, watch that message because Pastor Alex introduced us to Jonah and went through the entirety of Jonah chapter 1, which I'm just going to summarize briefly. But long and short, Jonah was a prophet of God, and God gave him uh, a task. He said, go to the people of Nineveh and give them the message that I'm going to tell you. Interestingly, interesting, we kind of think, wow, that's really important. Jonah's a prophet. That's his job, Right? Like, if you had the job description for prophet, it would be, go tell people what God tells you. That's your job description. And Jonah decided to not fulfill his job description. He decided to run. And so he, through a series of events, ended up in the middle of the sea, on a boat, in the midst of an incredible storm. And he convinced the sailors that the only way that the storm was going to be calmed was if they chucked him into the water, right? I don't know how long he had to argue. Is it like five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour? I don't know. But regardless, that's what they did. Interestingly, even through that crazy circumstance and situation, the men on that boat came to know God that day. Pastor Alex highlighted that last week, how God is always working in and through these circumstances. But what we know from the story that Pastor Alex conveyed last week is that Jonah went into the water where he was swallowed by a great fish, probably a whale, and he remained there for three days and three nights. Today, I get to focus on Jonah chapter 2, and Jonah chapter 2 is actually a psalm or a prayer that Jonah wrote while he was inside the fish. Now, I doubt that he, like, physically wrote it. His ink was probably all wet at that point, right? The parchment didn't make it, but he wrote it in his mind, and then it was later recorded, and we get to look at those words today. What's interesting is that even though Jonah had some doubts in and through this, and we're going to read about that today, the one thing that he came to realize was that God was with him throughout that entire experience. He began to realize God's fingerprints on every instance during that whole season, even as he was making terrible choices. And as a result of that, Jonah responded in praise. Interesting. But Jonah responded in praise in that moment Because of the love of God, that one thing, he began to trace that thread, probably because he had a lot of time to think, because he was alone for three days and three nights. But as he praised the Lord, he exemplified 
What is our take-home point today? Which is this. In every circumstance, we get to praise God. It's the one point I'm going to seek to make through the Scripture today. In every circumstance, we get to praise God. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to go through the entire chapter. However, we're going to go a verse or two at a time. We're going to look at the context of those verses, discuss how it applied to Jonah then, and how it applies to us today. The words will also be up here on the screen uh, for you to follow along as well. But before we get into the scripture, let's pray. Father God, I ask and pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move within our hearts and our spirits to open all of us to receive your word. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 2, we're going to start by looking at verse 1. It says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I often wonder if Jonah prayed this prayer on day one, or if he like had to marinate a bit, you know, and it kind of was a day three thing, you know, or did like part of it come day one, a little bit more day two, finally the whole thing came together on day three, I'm not sure. You know, the past couple of months we've talked a lot about the value of solitude as part of our discipline in, as we get to follow the Lord, and the reason for that is because as we're in solitude, it's just us and God, and I can... I would certainly say Jonah had some solitude, right? I doubt there was like a lot of folks there to chat with, you know? His iPhone probably wasn't working that day. No service all the way at the bottom of the sea. You know, couldn't check Facebook. It's just him and God. And what Jonah began to realize, and we'll see this as we look through this prayer today, he began to realize who he was, who God is, how God was working in the midst of it, and that ultimately convinced him of God's love, and also, it allowed him to see what God was doing, and he responded in repentance and in praise. Ken, a couple weeks ago, was on the panel, and he talked about the value of solitude in his life, how heavily and influential it's impacted him over the past year. And the reason that we keep saying this is because oftentimes when we're alone with the Lord, it allows us to gain right perspective because we can look past ourselves. And Jonah was really able to do that in this moment. In verse 2, he continues. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Now, you might read that and think that Jonah's talking about his present situation. Great trouble is that he's in the middle of a giant fish. But that's not the case. Jonah was actually referencing the situation that just happened, you know, when he was going to drown and die because he was in water. We know that Jonah thought that he was going to die because of what he says in verse 2. He says, I called to you from the land of the dead. Well, what's the land of the dead? The Hebrew term there is Sheol, which we would understand as the underworld or hell. Here's what Jonah believed in that moment. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And the Hebrew understanding of that term is you're going to go to a place, an afterlife, and in Sheol, just like in hell, Jonah thought he would be forever without the presence of God. Because of what he did, his actions, he thought, my life is not redeemable. I'm going to die, and I'm going to hell. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Any of us ever thought that because of what we've done, or what's been done to us, or any of the circumstances that we're in, that God possibly could not care about us? That there couldn't possibly be redemption for us? 
We've done unforgivable things or things that we didn't even have power over have been done to us. Jonah felt that way right then. We know because of what he says. He says, I'm going to a place that I basically have put myself in this situation and I'm going there and I will be forever divorced from you. And then what? Well, it says that God heard Jonah and came to his rescue. Don't you love that little bit of hope at the end of verse 2? Jonah, in that moment, like he's writing in hindsight now, right? But in that moment, he's thinking, I'm dying and I'm going to hell, and yet I cried out to you in that moment, and God, you heard me, and God came to his rescue. Jonah understood in that moment, and what we can come to understand as well, is that God is a God of really unending love. When we cry, he hears and he responds. Jonah sort of hits pause on this right now, and then for the next couple of verses, he begins to talk about, really, the choices and the situations that led him up to this point, the point being inside the belly of a fish. Everything that had happened that sort of transpired to end him up where he was. Jonah 2, verse 3 says, You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. It's interesting that Jonah says, you threw me into the ocean depths, meaning God. Because I don't think Pastor Alex was lying last week when he was like, hey, Jonah convinced all the other guys to throw him into the water. So what happened? Did Jonah just like involuntarily trip? Did a hand of God come down and swoop him up and throw him into the waves? No, that's not what happened at all. Let's be honest. Jonah's in this situation because of choices that he made. Nineveh is an inland town. It's a city that's inland. It's not anywhere even near water. It's by a desert. That's how far from water it is. Jonah should have never been on water. Why is he on water? Because he chose to be there. But he began to understand something in the midst of this that we all ought to understand. God's in control and we are not. God is always in control. God wasn't surprised when Jonah took a detour. God wasn't surprised when a storm sprang up. And Jonah understood in that moment that I'm not nearly as in control as I think I am. Now, sometimes God will leverage our circumstances to help get our attention and to remind us ultimately that he's in control. And he did that here with Jonah. And now Jonah in this moment had one of two options. He could either get angry which sometimes we do, and that's really just our effort to regain control. Or he could submit to the lordship of God, acknowledge that God was in control, and move forward accordingly. We know that Jonah chose the latter because of what he says in verse 4. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. So again, let's imagine being Jonah. One moment you're asleep, in a boat, the next moment you're fighting for your life in a storm-filled sea. You're fighting waves. And I think that if we were in that situation, it would be understandable for all of us to think what Jonah thought. He said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. In that moment, Jonah felt like God kicked him out. Isn't it interesting in this prayer how like, it's like Jonah saying how he feels and then God responding to that and God correcting his thinking? Isn't that something? Because what Jonah says here is, I feel like you've kicked me out. But here's an interesting thought. Who moved? God 
or Jonah? Who moved? God or Jonah? In his book, Undercover, John Bevere makes the point that we have a God that is unchanging, that he is always there, he's ever-present, and ultimately we serve a God who the story of Scripture tells us over and over and over again desperately wants to be with his people, so much so that he promises, if you live according to my words and according to my will, you will be blessed. Now, we always want that to be Ferraris and jet skis, and that's not always the case, But there is a sense in the Old Testament that God promises to be with his people if they follow him. And in the New Testament, Jesus promises to be with us when we join in relationship with him. Why? Because if we don't, that's that's sin. That's part of our sinful nature acting itself out. And the Bible's clear. God cannot be in the presence of sin. He is holy, he is pure, and he is blameless. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he says, listen, if you live according to my will, I'll place this covering over you and you'll be blessed. You know what we do? How can we get out from underneath this? I'd like to leave now. I don't know why we do it. I don't know if it's because we're just stupid or naive or maybe we're just really independent. But from Jonah and Adam and Eve to present day, we like to try to be out from underneath that thing as best we can, as fast as we can. When I was a little kid, the church that I was a part of used to sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Man, I love that song. I still do. And there are a couple lines in that song that even as a young kid, I thought, that's me. The one line goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And even as a little kid, eight, nine, ten years old, I went, yep, I want to do my own thing. I am prone to wander. It always brings to mind the image of Billy in Family Circus, remember that cartoon? And like Billy's supposed to come home from school and then he like takes a million detours and it's just his little footprints all over the comic strip. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Billy from Family Circus and you'll get it. But that's what we're like. That's the human condition. We're prone to wander. But the song, the next verse gives us hope. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What does that mean? Here's the deal. We often think Times think like we're sinful people, so we do sinful things. No, we're sinful from the womb. We don't have to do anything. We're just sinful from the get. So God himself has to come and sort of restrain us to take our heart, hold it captive, realign us, bring us back under what he has called us to do. God didn't move. Jonah moved. And we moved too. But we have a God who never leaves us, never forsakes us. We have a God that is stalwart. He is the one thing on which we can rely. His love never fails us. But in that moment, Jonah felt like he was abandoned. So what did he do? Well, it says in this verse that he looked toward the temple. Now, what does that mean? When Jonah says that he looked toward the temple, in that time, the temple was where God resided. His presence, it says in the Old Testament, hovered above the altar, above the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God resided. Not only that, as a Jew, Jonah would have gone there, offered sacrifice for repentance. He would have praised the Lord there, and they, as a people, would have remembered all the things God had ever done for them. So when Jonah, and when it says he looked towards the temple, what it was, was an act of repentance, submission, and praise. Jonah's like, God, I feel abandoned. 
He felt abandoned because he left. God didn't move. Jonah did. What did Jonah do? He repented. He submitted. And then he praised the Lord. What a wonderful image of a man who finally, in that moment, in the belly of that fish, understood that God was that consistent thing. And it wasn't God that moved. It was him. Today, we don't serve a God that lives in a building built by human hands. Thanks to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the work of him, we get to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it says that the temple of God is inside each and every one of us. Isn't that an awesome promise? God lives inside of us. But just like Jonah, we like to wander. We like to do things that are contrary to what God would have us to do. And so when we find ourselves in those situations, we have options. We can get angry. We can get upset. Or like Jonah, we can repent. We can submit to the lordship of God in our lives. And we can praise his name regardless of the circumstance. Because that ultimately shows our reliance upon a God who is in control. And friends, quite frankly, we are not. Now, Jonah continues by talking about what happens after he repented and praised the Lord. It says this, verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. So Jonah repents, and then it's better. No, it got worse. It got worse. He continued to sink. Seaweed wrapped itself around its head. As a child, I had a children's Bible, and for some reason, they decided that the one image that they should show me was Jonah drowning and getting wrapped up in seaweed, seared into my mind forever. Yeah, that's buried on a bookshelf somewhere. I haven't showed that to my children. But what happened? Jonah continues to go down until when? It says in here that he touched the roots of the mountains. What does that mean? He hit the floor of the sea. He can't get any lower. It's interesting that within the book of Jonah, you'll note that whenever Jonah does something according to God's will, he goes up. Pastor Alex mentioned it last week. What's God's word to Jonah? Arise, get up, Jonah, go up. Where? To Nineveh. Do what I'm calling you to do. And what does Jonah do? How does he respond? He went down to Joppa. He goes down into the hold of the boat. And finally, at this point, he descends to the very depths of the earth. Today, we would say Jonah hit rock bottom. He couldn't get any lower. He could not be any further from his God in that moment. Completely dejected and destitute. He knew, again, he kind of bounces back and forth, but he knew he was going to die, that the earth was going to swallow him, again referencing the underworld, and he was going to live his life devoid of the presence of God. I love the insight into Jonah's thinking, right? Because we think similar things. But what happened next? The end of verse 6 says this, But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. I like how the NIV states it as well when it says, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Whether he was snatched from the jaws of death or brought up from the pit, what we know 
is that Jonah was convinced he was on the highway to hell. There was no redemption. He had made too many mistakes. God could not possibly forgive him. He felt rejected, dejected, and alone. He wasn't going to make it. And God, rightfully so, according to Jonah, was going to let him die, devoid of his presence forever, because Jonah had just screwed up way too bad. And then what? God acts. Why? Because Jonah repents and praises his God. He understands and acknowledges that he has screwed up. He was as good as dead. But then God acted in a mighty and powerful and miraculous way. How does he respond? He sends a giant fish to swallow a guy, which either has to be a miracle or the most absurd thing you've ever heard. I often thought that the whale was Jonah's punishment. Like he was being punished being in that whale for three days. The whale wasn't his punishment. That whale was his salvation. Because he was as good as dead. And then the Lord responded in a way that only God could. And Jonah found out something about the Lord that I don't know that he knew previous. We have a God that never gives up on us. The moment we repent the moment that we begin to lift God's name on high, when we praise him in the midst of those circumstances, oh my goodness, he comes running. It's the image of Luke 15, right? Of the father waiting for his wayward son to come home, gets up every day, looks at the horizon, is today the day? And then he sees his son that day, and he takes off after him. That's the image of our God, a God who will not give up on his people. And Jonah began to experience that and understand that while he was sitting in the belly of a fish. Came to understand the human condition that we are all prone to wander. We're all prone to make terrible choices from time to time. Things have impacted us that make us feel unworthy, unlovable, any of those things. And God says, no, I'm here. I've not moved. I'm right here. Repent. Seek my face. Call upon me. Worship and praise me as the creator that I am. And God ultimately was his salvation. Jonah continues from here responding with ever-increasing praise. He says this, As my life slipped away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifice to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. It's interesting that Jonah again here responds in praise because if I'm honest, the whale is Jonah's salvation, but if I got to choose how God would save me, it wouldn't be a whale. Like scuba gear would be cool. Maybe a submarine. Something with a shower at the end of it, right? Why a whale? I don't know. But what we do know is Jonah responds with appropriate praise. Friends, sometimes... In our circumstance, we go, Lord, save me, but save me this way. It's not what the Lord did. The Lord did something totally unique, a miracle. Jonah responds with appropriate praise. Not only that, he talks about everything else being a distraction from God. Here's how we know that. In verse 8, he says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. Now, some folks believe that that's really kind of Jonah's jab at the people of Nineveh, right? Like he didn't want to go there in the first place because they worshiped idols probably, and that's why God's judgment was going to pour forth. 
And he was like, that's why I didn't want to go there anyway. God's kind of his jab at those people, which I would contend kind of goes against the entire repentant tone that we're going with in this prayer, right? Like why in the middle of all the repenting would you go, and like you're going to do this for these people and I don't want to do it anyway. Rather, what I would say is Jonah goes in that moment, I was an idol to myself. I worshiped myself. Anything that's contrary to what you have for me, God, is stupid and foolish and will ultimately fail and fade away. He wasn't trying to justify his behavior. He just spent his entire time here up to this point repenting for what he had done and understanding that anything that is contrary to the will of God ultimately can have some pretty drastic and dramatic consequences. Far better, I think we'd all agree, for us to just simply hear the word of God, internalize it, obey it, and live it out, right? Yeah. Why don't we? Well, because like we say here at New Life, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's contrary to our sin nature. It's contrary to who we are. Remember, we're prone to wander. And then we're prone to end up in circumstances. And then we start to think about how God ever put us in this situation to begin with. But if we learn anything from Jonah, it's that a lot of times we end up in these places and what we get to do in that moment is we get to praise God. We get to repent possibly for what we've done. And we have a God whose unending love is poured forth in those moments. What is interesting in this whole section is how frequently and often Jonah praises the Lord. He freely shares his doubts. He freely shares his feelings. He freely shares what's going on in his mind. And then he always returns back to a song or a psalm of praise, a prayer of praise for the God who never failed him, whose love was that constant thread even in his life. Friends, if we're honest, God's love is freely available to each and every one of us. Oftentimes, we, like Jonah, need to take an opportunity to pause to reflect upon that. We need to seek his face. We need to go, Lord, are there things in my life of which I need to repent? Are there things that you are speaking to me about? Lord, have you something for me that I don't yet realize? And as we do that, as we ponder that this week, we'll be living out what is our next step for today. I will praise God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do this week. I'll praise God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. We see that pattern in Jonah, right? Lord, I remember what you've done. Lord, I thank you for what you did. And then, I thank you for what you will do. And Jonah got an opportunity, and we'll see in the weeks to come, to live out his next step. Because verse 10 tells us what happens next. It says this, The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Ironic. He's back on land where he should have been all along. He should have been there all along. But the Lord places him back to where he should have been. Now, the Lord provided salvation for Jonah in that moment. To do what? To go do his job. To do the thing the Lord had called him to. Last week, Pastor Alex used the image that Jonah going to Nineveh would be like one of us trying to get on board the Death Star to go confront Darth Vader. Jonah still has that task in front of him. It's not like God's like, well, you did it. I saved you. Go have cake. No. Go do what I've called you to do. Why? 
Because God's in control and we're not. And we get to love and serve him faithfully day to day. So Jonah's next step was what should have been his original step. But I would contend that he went forth with a greater understanding, one of who he is, right? He also went with a greater understanding of who God is, an understanding of how we ought to praise God in each and every circumstance, and how God's love is miraculous and unfailing for all of us. The question is, would Jonah internalize that to a point where he would be able to see and extend that to others? And that's a question that we're going to answer in the weeks to come. Amen? Amen. We've talked a lot about repenting and turning back to a God who loves us more than we can imagine. And one of the things when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is that we repent from the sinful lives that we've been leading. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Here at New Life, we say it's as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we are sinners and that we need Jesus as a Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that we're sinners and we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we commit to following Him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray it with me or you can pray this in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need to repent and that I need to turn back towards you, God. And I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and that he came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that I need him as a savior in my life, Lord. And I confess, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. And I commit to following him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just will continue to repent of the things in my life that I need to turn from, Lord. And I will always turn back to you, no matter how many times I may lose my way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.